Well, good morning. You can be seated. Yeah, um, you can stand if you want. Uh, I won't be as long as Jeremy this morning. Uh, but if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Um, in the meantime, though, while you're doing that, I was reminded during sermon prep of a 5K that I ran. Um, I did. I ran it. <laughs> And uh, it was three, 3.2 miles. I did all of it. Um, and then actually, I was in high school, and I had forgotten that I signed up for it. And so the morning of, my dad, like, just beams a T-shirt at me. And he's like, hey, don't forget um, your 5K. And I was like, sweet. And so um, I go out, and I do it. And uh, I, I reached, I'm about three-quarters of the way through, and, and it's, like, game over for me. Like, my legs are done, um, my chest is done, um, and so I'm, I'm, like, about to just be like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be that guy that walks it out the rest of the way. And, uh, but I turn, and it's, it's like, a, like a long country road, and I turn down this street, and I see this dude, and it's a photographer. And I'm like, I, I have to find a way. And so, looking to my vanity, I, I just get, I find it within myself to well up and to, to be encouraged to finish strong so I can have a cool photo for Facebook. Um, and I think it's still on there if you look back far. It's been a while. Um, uh, and so, but with the, this whole theme of encouragement in mind, the, the bad story notwithstanding, um, I do want to pick up. So, we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, so, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, a passage like that is, it is a beautiful passage, and there's not really much I can say to, to, to make it any better. Um, you can't really add to something like that. But what I would like to do is I'd like to spend this morning kind of understanding what this passage is really trying to say. And to do that first, though, I want to jump back. So if you have your Bible, just jump back to, to chapter 1 and the last two verses. It's 29 and 30. Um, and, and we're going to read those. And they say, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, why is it important for us to jump back and read that? Um, and that's a really good question. And the answer for it is context. So when, when we're looking to understand chapter 2, we have to remember that these are letters. These are large letters that are written to the churches. And when we look back at chapter 1, we get this really different picture of chapter 2. Because what these verses are telling us in chapter 1 is that Paul, who wrote the letter, is experiencing suffering. We know that he has been arrested and beaten. He's been abandoned by a lot of the local believers in Rome. And now he's sitting in jail, essentially waiting for a trial that will probably end in his death. 
We know that it doesn't, but he doesn't know that. Um, and so we have this picture of Paul's life, but we also get a picture of the Philippian church and what it's like to live with them. They're experiencing suffering as well. We know from other passages that this included persecution and extreme poverty. And so really, I'm, think about what that would be like for a minute. They're afraid to go out. They're afraid to be caught. And if they're seen worshiping Christ, it can mean their lives and the lives of their family. And then they have nothing. I mean, just absolutely nothing. And so if we understand that that's the reality that they lived in every single day, chapter 2 looks a whole lot different to us. I mean, just look at chapter 1 again with me. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. Right? What he's doing is he's encouraging the church to press on even in the face of, of, of absolute suffering. And he identifies with them that they aren't alone in these dark moments of life. See, Paul knows all too well how heavy suffering is. If you spent any time in the New Testament, I'm sure that you know this fact. But, but Paul will tell another church in 2 Corinthians 1, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's my daughter. Uh, and so, uh, um, so, so, but Paul knows how hard suffering is, right? He knows what it's like to be to the point where you despair for life itself. And he knows that what they need is encouragement to persevere. And that same truth rings true for Christians today. It rings true for us today, that we need encouragement to persevere in this life. You, you probably have some of the same questions that the Philippian church was asking as they read through Paul's letter. Like, how am I really supposed to persevere? I mean, have you seen what it's like to live in this world? Like, how am I supposed to do that? Right? Like, how do I press on when life feels like it's just falling apart? Or, or, or sin, just, it, it, it's overwhelming me. This life comes with a weight that's too great to bear on our own. But the good news is that God has not designed it to be done alone either. He gifts us two really beautiful things in this world when everything else is going to try and make us fall away to help us persevere. And both of them are rooted in unity and we're going to look at two of them today. And the first is all of us gathered here, the church. Point number one, we are united to the church. We are united to the church. Now, this is a really common statement. I'm really not, I shouldn't be blowing your mind up here. Um, but this is something that's super countercultural to unbelievers. And, and, and the real tragedy is that it's so countercultural to believers as well. Right? We, we, we can miss the gift of the local church and being partnered to it. Because when life gets hard, right, when, when struggles are overwhelming, it's up to our neck, what do we often do? Right? We, we pull away. And, and we pull into ourselves, right? Till we can deal with it. When, when family is falling apart, when, when illness is stealing our hope, we feel like we have to fix it first, or maybe step out for a season, or we have to put on this false pretense that, oh, everything's fine, how are you? Right? So what should we do? Well, let's look at the text for us. Look in verse 1 even. Do you need encouragement from Christ this morning? Do you need comfort from love? Do you, do you desire participation in the spirit? Affection and sympathy? Where are we called to throw ourselves? Into the church. 
And why is that? Because we're a family. We're called to the same love and the same mind. The church is a gathering of broken people in a broken world, understanding that they can't live this life by themselves. And they're not going to pretend to expect you to either. A body of believers who've experienced the life-changing love of Christ and then are called to pour that love out onto others. This is one of the things that I so love about Harvest Point is that whenever someone needs support or is sick or whatever, the church is so quick to love and to meet those needs. Um, I'm sure that no one brought Rachel and I dinner after we had our daughter Sayla because they thought two first-time sleep-deprived parents were good company. Um, We were not. (laughs) I think I fell asleep when summer was over. Um, And there's definitely no way that we could repay them. And yet, they did it anyways. Because Christ's love was, was working through them. It was encouraging us when we needed it, and it was bringing affection and sympathy in those early weeks. Right? And, and church, thank you for that. I mean it, thank you. That was a real treasure for us, and I hope that somehow we can show some of the love and grace that you've shown us over the years. But we're not just called to be passive receivers of this love. As great as that is and as helpful as that is, we're also called to be active members of it as well. The Philippian church, they didn't just constantly receive encouraging letters from Paul. In fact, they would often send uh, support, either monetary or otherwise, to Paul to support his missionary journeys. So that begs the question, what does active participation in the church's love for us look like? Again, great question. Uh, 3 and 4, verses 3 and 4. To do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. To look out for the interests of others. To not just receive encouragement, but to seek how we can pour that out on others. As we are given the strength to persevere, we go and help others do the same. So the, the greatest question to ask yourself in this is, is do I do verses 3 and 4? Do I not do things from selfish ambition or conceit? Do I look out for the interests of others in the church? And church, hear this as a call for a deep breath in a storm and not more stuff to do. Verse 5 will tell us, have this mind, this mind that we're talking about, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Because not even this has to be alone or in our own power. Just as we help each other press on in the faith, help encourage each other in our lives, we have a strong Savior who carries us through into our second point, that we are united to Christ. We are united to Christ. So we we can look at Jesus, we can look at his life, death, and resurrection, and we can find the reason to persevere. And this passage, really, really 5 through 11, is one of my favorite passages. I think it is a beautiful example of who Christ is. And we get a picture of how we can press on. And what is that? Because Jesus already has. I mean, do you, do, you, do you really realize that? For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus pressed on in our place, in our stead. And, and what we're going to do with the rest of our time is we're going to look at three different ways that he makes this mind available to us. And, and through his life, death, and resurrection. 
And the first thing we're going to look at is his life. And that Jesus' life is our encouragement. And if you're following along in your Bible, those are verses 6 through 8. Jesus' earthly life it is marked in every passage by humble and perfect obedience. And, and submission simply by the incarnation occurring, right? Just by Jesus coming down to live a human life. And then how does he come down, right? Not as this untouchable king, even though he very well could have and deserved to and is, how does he come? As a servant, right? Verse 5. And this is who Jesus is. The same Jesus who holds the universe in place by the word of his power is the same Jesus who we read will be rejected by his own family and hometown. That same Jesus, the very Son of God, is hated by the religious leaders that worship him and abandoned by his closest friends in his darkest hour. And that Jesus is able to look at our suffering and identify with it. He's able to encourage us because he has experienced suffering to a greater degree than you and I will ever, ever know. And then he lived a life of faithful obedience in the face of greater temptation than we could ever experience. Church, when we feel weak, we're able to look to a strong and great Savior who lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. And this Savior tells us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But remember this Jesus we're talking about. The second person of the Trinity, the great I Am of Exodus that we've been looking at, who will judge all the earth, steps down into human life, and lives a life of suffering to draw near to us when we could never draw near to him. As Hebrews 2.18 will say, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And this is one of those moments where we go, well, of course he did, right? And, and so something we call like an of course moment. But really think for a moment on that. Jesus, right? God himself stepped out of glory and then lived a life of suffering and perseverance for you and me. And we go, well, of course he did. That's what he's supposed to do. But, I mean, do you really, do you, do you get that, though? I mean, do you, do you grasp that that's what Christ has done in his life? Because our response to that has to be something more than, of course he did. And that's why we worship and we trust that he's sufficient for us. But our trust in his sufficiency doesn't just stop there and just Christ being able to relate to our suffering and struggles, but his perfect life gives us access to the Father through Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf. That's the second thing we'll look at, is that Christ's death is our confidence. And this is coming from verse 8. We're going to read it here real quick. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there's, there's a really, really, really important point. Like, this is all you get. Get this. There's a really important point being made about Jesus' death here. And, and did you catch it in that verse? I'm going to read it again. Obedient to the point of death. And that would mean that Jesus' obedience is the cause of what? 
His death. Yeah, good one. <laughs> but Jesus' obedience is the cause of his death. Jesus' death is a planned event. Not an unfortunate occurrence because he angered Romans and Jewish leaders. His death serving the purpose of redeeming God's people. From before the foundation of the world, before creation itself was ever set in motion, God had planned to slaughter Christ to secure salvation for his people. And that's why Isaiah 53.10 will say, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus takes our place. Church, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Christ has paid the price for our redemption. And since Jesus died the death on our behalf and canceled the debt that we owe before God because of our sin... Romans 8, 1 will say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And why is there no condemnation? Because Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live, and he died the death that you and I deserve to die. Fixing our biggest problem, which is what? Our standing before God and being reconciled to him. Now, this will, this will astound Paul so much. And if you've been with us, you know what I'm talking about. I, I think Paul's going to have his pastor Jeremy's like, huh, moment, right? And so he'll say later in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God essentially saying, what are they going to do? Everything's mine. And so are you. And because that's true, Hebrews 4.12 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, this, this is how we persevere. Boldly approaching the throne of grace. Knowing that we have been made right with God and He sees us how He sees Christ. Pure and blameless. And that last verse in Romans 8, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, that reminds us that we don't just have confidence, we don't just have encouragement in Christ, we have hope. That's going to be the last thing we look at today, and that Jesus' resurrection is our hope. That's from verses 9 through 11. And the hope we have in Jesus, it doesn't just come from his life and death. Those are very, very important. But the foundation from our hope is rooted in what? In his resurrection. Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and you are still in your sins. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
we are of all people most to be pitied. But the chapter doesn't end there and the story doesn't end there. God shows his approval of Christ's sacrifice. In chapter 15, we'll go on to verse 20, which tells us, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in this resurrection, he is exalted. Verse 9 again, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is risen. And he is risen to reign. Every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And when we look to Jesus, we will see a suffering servant. And we see a crucified Christ. But we also see a risen king above all kings seated on the throne. All things are under his feet. And he has overcome the world And church, in him, we have hope for a future where this struggle will end. The race will be complete and we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Because we can run to this Savior, our Savior, and and He's able to sympathize with our weakness and we can trust that nothing can ever snatch us from His hand. Now turn with me to Revelation 21.5 if you have your Bible. Uh, Because I want you to, to, to see these words and not just hear them. So Jesus, this is be Jesus speaking, the victorious King who's now finished His work. He's going to have John record some of his final words. And it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus, the king who's seated on his throne, which all creation will obey, says he's going to make all things new. And he doesn't say this with long lines at Starbucks in mind. He says this with cancer and wayward children and suffering and abuse and pain and sin in mind. And he says, behold, which is his way of saying, stop and listen to me. I am making all things new. All suffering will be overcome and all things will be made new. So church, press on. These words that he has spoken are trustworthy and true. And because of that, We can persevere. Let us run this race with endurance, united to Christ and his church, standing firm in Christ our King. And this is where we who are in Christ find our encouragement and our joy, in Christ and in Christ alone. Just pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time to be together and thank you for this time to make much of you. Lord, I I pray that we never grow weary of looking upon Christ's face. 
that we never tire of seeing him for who he is, the risen king of all kings. And we can put our hope in him. And that's why we can have blessed assurance because everything is his and he says that he loves us. Let that be our hope this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.